980 of your pew Bible. And we're looking at Isaiah today. The prophet Isaiah. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 28. We'll be reading that, but we'll be concentrating on verse 25. So page 980, we'll be reading chapter 43, verses 22 through 28, but we'll be concentrating on verse 25. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father sinned, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse, and Israel to the purchase. This is the reading of God's word. As we read our passage today, we see that God is burdened by the sins of Israel. Indeed, he's burdened by the sins of all mankind. And as he mentions the sins of the first father and the mediators in verse 27, he's also very much grieved by our sins today. As we become believers in Jesus, we see that our sins burden God and we know that we deserve His wrath. And as we see the depth of our reprobate acts against His holy law, we question, we question, Can we really be forgiven? And as we feel the weight of sin upon us, we may make excuses to not come to church, to have fellowship throughout the week, make ourselves uh, stay away from the communion table because we have this question, can we really be forgiven? And maybe sometimes that's wise, but it may be also, at times, not trusting God and remembering that He knows our temptations and He knows our hearts and He knows that we need His mercy. Yet, somehow, we question if God really will forgive us. Because God is a just God, will He really have mercy on me or us, sinner? We must remember that God wants a people and He will have it. 
And though we're guilty of sin, He wants us to know that He is who we can turn to. It's He who is the way of salvation, and it's He that is justified in declaring us from us free from the condemnation of sin. It's He that is the author of our salvation. It is true that God knows all things, including the sins that never make it even past our own lips. He keeps a record of each person's evil deeds, thoughts, and desires. And there will be a day of judgment where we must face the heavenly bookkeeper and either we see His wrath or His mercy. Nothing escapes His knowledge and everything will be recorded for eternity's sake. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, for those who want to see God's forgiveness, there are three proofs of God being a merciful bookkeeper. The promise, the process, purpose. First we have the promise. God says He Himself promises not to remember Israel's sins. It is clear with two statements in our verse, I, even I, am He, and I will. And it's as if He puts His own character up for the equity of the fulfillment of this promise. And notice He doubles I, even I, to make it personal. To drill it in. That it's He that does His things. But we understand this concept of character. We all know who we can more likely trust to do something that they say they would do or not. There's that one friend who says, I'll get it done. And you might smile and nod your head, but inside you're thinking, I'll believe it when I see it. It's because they have established a history of not keeping their word with you. And then you also have the one friend who says that they will get it done whatever it is you need them to do. And He always seems to come through. And this is the same with God. As He has established history as a promise keeper, a covenant keeper. And as part of God's character is a history of merciful promises fulfilled. For instance, in God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2-3, God promised, I will make you a great nation. Talking to Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's promise came true as God speaks now to this great nation of Israel here through Isaiah. And these are Abraham's descendants. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, God says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you far under, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Israel became a great nation indeed with mighty kings such as David and Solomon. A people that started off being oppressed, having nothing of their own, being brought to a great nation. God's promise came true. And over and over again, when God says, I will, I will, then He does, He does. When we look at the history of God's promises, there is only one conclusion that God is a promise keeper. And when He gives us His holy, perfect promise, 
we have no other right conclusion than to believe that he will come to pass. He will come to pass. So trust him, and that you can count on him, because the promise that is given in his word, as God's character has proven faithful throughout the centuries, we can rely on his word to be trustworthy and faithful. He says he promises to blot out our transgressions and remember our sins no more. God says, look at my character and remember all the times I have said, I will, and it came true. That the same God says that made all those things come to pass, says that He will remember your sins no more. God gives us wonderful pictures of how He will not remember our sins. In Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, in the description of the great and merciful promise of God, for His heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removed our transgressions from us. Just think of that. Here in Atlanta, your sins are put in Los Angeles, a good place to put them. That's how He sees you, separate from Him. In Micah 7, verse 18 and 19, the prophet wanders at the knowledge of God's choosing not to remember sins when he writes, Who is a God like you, pardoning our iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever. He will again have compassion on us and He will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Early in the book, Isaiah sees the promise of God not remembering His sins when in chapter 38, 17 he says to God, Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you... Lovingly deliver my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. What the Bible is telling us here is that God is not only the source of our salvation, but He is actively working in the process of our sins to be forgotten now. As you walk with Him, are forgiven by Him, as we are growing in the desire to be obedient to His holy will, you see that God has taken our sins and cast them behind His back into the deepest part of the ocean and remove them so far from us that He actively does not see them upon us. Like Malachi, we should be in awe and what a great merciful God we have. Know that He is of a character that will keep His promise to you and His entire history with man and His keeping promises to His children is guaranteed that He will do thus. God's character proves that His promise of forgetting your sins is a reality. What a wonderful, loving, and merciful God indeed to those who fear Him and want forgiveness. So in this verse, we not only see a promise of God, but we also see a process of His making out and not is marking out and not remembering our sins. God says He blots out our sins. The word here means to erase or destroy. Imagine perhaps an ancient merchant with his clay tablet with keeping records of those who owes him money. And when the debt is paid, he scratches the record out of the tablet. And we see this imagery used often in Scripture for those knowing that they have sinned and are seeking God's forgiveness, that their sins will no longer be remembered. In Psalm 51, we read where David repents 
over his sins of committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah and trying to cover his sins even with deception later on. He writes in verses 1 and 2, Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your loving kindness, according to the multitude of Your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Then cleanse me from my sin. And again in verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Here once again, God's mercy is connected with forgiveness of sin. And David, feeling the weight of his guilt, seeks forgiveness because he knows God's character. He knows the forgiveness of God to those who truly seek it. And they can be blotted out by the merciful bookkeeper. Now, of course, if God can blot out the sins of those who fear Him, then He can choose to not blot out the sins of those who don't fear Him. You must remember that a holy God is the heavenly bookkeeper. The one who can crush our souls with His wrath is the one who records our sins. In Revelation 20, verse 12, we are told that John sees in heaven the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Our sins are recorded in the books of works by the hand of God. A record that has eternal consequences. Our works can't save us because the very sin we have committed, even our best attempts at righteous works, are filthy rags before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We get a picture of what it means for a soul to not be blotted out of the book of works. To not be erased from this book of works is a guarantee, a promise that God will put His wrath upon you. We see the prophets cry out for God to remember the sins of the enemies of Israel and what it means. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 5, Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you that, you have provoked, that they have provoked you to anger before the builders those who are rebuilding Jerusalem. Those who are returning the earthly kingdom of God's covenant people to in the Old Testament. And in Jeremiah 18.23, it reads, Yet, Lord, You know all their counsel, which is against Me, to slay Me, provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from Your sight, but let them be overthrown before You. Deal thus with them in this time of your anger. So to not have your sins blotted out is to suffer the, the guarantee to suffer the wrath of God. God being a God that keeps His promise, those whose sins He actively forgets, also promises to remember the sins of His enemies, those who refuse to repent and turn to Him. The, the promise of His wrath for those whose deeds are recorded in the book of words. For their sin record has not been blotted out. They will know His wrath. Think of last week as Dr. Smith talked about the locust in Joel chapter 1. The wrath of God from a farmer's point of view, whose life and security is in his fields, watching the locust devouring his field, seeing the blessings of God being destroyed right before his eyes. All joy and all blessings have been taken away, only to feel the desolation of life without God's favor. Sin deserves punishment from God. God demands payment for sin by blood. And as we see in verses 22 to 24, we are not capable of saving ourselves in Isaiah 43. No offer to God from us satisfies and our sins burden Him. No bull, no ram, 
or lamb from our fields is ever good enough. But He, the merciful bookkeeper, saves us. And He did it. It is the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, who blots out sin for eternity. As John the Baptist proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is Jesus alone who does this and no other. And to assure us that the merciful bookkeeper has forgiven our sins, in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I remember watching a movie one time. I can't remember the name of it. There's a scene. An elderly lady was telling the store owner to put things on her tab that she was buying, and she would pay them later. She also reminded the clerk to find the old records so he could catch up to paying him. She then apologized for not always being able to pay for what she needed right then. The clerk smiled and said, it's not a problem, as he was writing what she owed him. After she walked out of the store, he immediately began to erase those items under her name and wrote them on a page to write off those items later. This is how God's character shines forth in His mercy of the cross as His promise is fulfilled there. As we feel the weight of our sin, God says to us that His promise is always back. In Genesis 3.15, that salvation will come. And we see that it was fulfilled in Matthew 27 with Jesus on the cross. Full payment that our sin is forgiven in Christ. And God, the merciful bookkeeper, wipes our name from the book of death written over it. Our sins are taken away by the beloved Son. Look at the cross, God says. My promise to you is there. I did this and I'll blot out your sins because I provided the perfect sacrifice in your stead. Trust in the Son and your sins will be remembered no more. So we see that there is a promise that God will forgive our sins and there is a process that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now, let's look at the purpose. The purpose, God says, is for my own sake. God is blotting out our sins for His own sake. Chapter 14 of Jeremiah, we see in verse 21 a cry to God for Israel to not be punished. Jeremiah writes, Do not abhor us for Your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of Your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. There's a connection between our salvation and the namesake of God, especially through the cross of Jesus Christ. We see this connection expanded on in Isaiah 48, verses 9 and 11, where God says, For my name's sake, I will defer my anger, and for my praise, I will restrain, retain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For my, for how should my name be profaned? And I will not give glory to another. God saves us so that He is praised and glorified. We get so caught up in thinking about our own justification, our own glorification, and that day comes in our own point of view. But God promised to forget our sins 
and to give us a new life. And we'll partake in eternal life in His presence, not getting the wrath that He deserves for His own sake. Yet, but as the Bible says, let no flesh glory in His presence. And it is written that he who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. Because you are Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom in God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians one thirty. God, in His own freedom, in His own goodness, did the work to save us so that He is glorified. His name cannot be profaned by those who will know its glory. Not for our own name's sake, but His, that Christ came and did the work to ultimately save a people from His mighty and holy wrath. In Exodus 33, we're given a picture of how God's name is itself glory. As Moses is speaking with God, he asks in verse 18, Please show me your glory. In verse 19, God answers Moses, and he's saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Now I'll compassion on whom I will have compassion. The purpose of God having mercy on the people, to bring Him glory, to claim His name before us, to see that He is glorious. The merciful bookkeeper blots out our sins of the record book of works so that glory is proclaimed to Him. Indeed, a God of His own will and doing saves us and loves us because He loved us first and did the work on the cross to deliver us from His wrath. His name shall not be profaned or taken in vain. It shall be glorified. When we hear those who use the name of Jesus or God and such and lose in condescending ways, our hearts should sink. As we know the love and glory of God as His children, we should see that the one who defames Him does not know His glory and has not seen His love for people who He actively saves. They have never seen His glory on the cross and His robe has never passed before them, revealing His glory as He blots out their name out of the book of wrath and leveling the rights in the book of life. God's forgiveness and restoration are tied to the very character of who He is and that character is summed up in His holy and precious name for His own sake. As a matter of fact, as we sing Psalm 23 here today, in verse 3, we're led on the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. His name's sake. This ultimately is the purpose of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's where Jesus is our substitution for us. He paid our price. He laid down His life for the church. And behold, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Galatians 3.13, we see that it's He that became a curse for us. And in Galatians 1, 4, and 5, it's Jesus who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and our Father. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is God who did it. Our salvation to glorify Him. His name is So we've seen the promise. We've seen the, pro- the per- prom- process. And we've seen the purpose of a merciful bookkeeper, God. But this begs the question. So how do we know 
that our sins have been blotted out of the book of words and our names written in the book of life. Well, one cannot argue that today's passage is clear and that God is willing to forgive sin and the promise of the sacrifices of Jesus Christ. God does have mercy on the sinner and will bring those whom He wills to salvation. However, the truth is, an elder or a preacher cannot give you the assurance themselves that you may be looking for. And it is not the duty of the church to do such a thing. After all, the books that our sins are recorded in belong to God, not man. And it is up to an elder to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. So, for us to know if we have our sins blotted out by the merciful bookkeeper is a lifelong conversation and prayer each one of us must have with the Holy Spirit. We must examine ourselves with verses like 1 John 2.5, which reads, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Do we really, truly keep His Word? And has the fruit of God's love been evident in us in our walk with Christ? Or perhaps upon further inspection of our faith, we find that in 1 John 5.13 has not been a part of our walk as well. It reads, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Perhaps upon hearing this verse, you may... As one theologian wrote, believe Jesus, but not believe in Jesus. In other words, you haven't put your total trust in Him for your salvation. You may put trust, as our denomination's testimony says, you may put your trust in things like spiritual experiences or circumstances, and however worthy, such as birth to Christian parents, church membership, participation in sacraments, the hearing of the Word, good works, response to an altar call, speaking in tongues, or other real or imagined evidences of grace. And it goes on to tell us, do not of themselves constitute a basis of assurance of salvation. Perhaps you put your trust, have been putting your trust in these works and not Jesus Christ. We must continue to go to the Lord and check ourselves to see if we are in the faith. As 2 Corinthians 3.15 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And as Proverbs 28-26 reminds us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. And as Paul warns us in Galatians 6-3, For if he thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Examine yourself so you do not deceive yourself. The Bible, God's book that He does allow us to have access to, exhorts us to examine ourselves. And in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. It is God's will that works here, and it's what brings us to salvation. 
We must examine ourselves to truly make sure that our sins have been blotted out, that we are truly trusting in Christ and not ourselves. This must be done in prayer and by taking a long, deep look at our walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Have the conversation with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to show you where you need to be built up and where repentance is needed. You can turn to Him as He is a merciful bookkeeper. Today, we have looked at the character of God and His mercy. There's no other conclusion than the fact that though mankind has grieved Him greatly because of its sins and truly deserves His wrath, He has a people that has called that He has called to Himself. He is a merciful bookkeeper. And when He sees the debt of His people's sins paid by Jesus on the cross, He will erase their name out of the book of works and write their name in the book of life. It is His will that we are given this newness of life in Him and united in His Son that our sins were paid upon the cross. It is for His glory that He did the work that we could not possibly do for ourselves. He did it because He loves us and wants us as a people to come to Him and know that He is a merciful bookie and to glorify His name. Check yourselves and see that you have true faith in Jesus, not of yourselves. And if you see if your sins have been blotted out of the book of works. As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and we will close with this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christ did the work, and it's His work his obedience, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, that the merciful bookkeeper erases our works and our iniquities out of the book of works and writes our names in the book of life. Let us pray.